0: Our text is in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Those of you not familiar with Scripture, that's near the back of the Bible. Uh, after you find Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and uh, book of Acts and Romans, you'll find sec- the Corinthian passages after that. In our text, Paul has been talking about giving to the Corinthian church and actively giving for the kingdom. And here is what he says to us in our text today. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work as it is written He has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of his service, they will glorify God because of your submission, flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you, because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. Grass withers, flowers fade. The word of the Lord speaks today. You may be seated. So sometimes investments that we make have far bigger returns than we could ever imagine. Some years back, I used to take prayer retreats and planning retreats to a retreat center up on Lake Norman here in North Carolina. And an older retired pastor I knew owned the place. He built the place and he ran the place with his wife. The place was huge. It was 10,000 square feet, and it was on lakefront property. That's Lake Norman. He would regularly host uh, missionaries, pastors, church groups, all to stimulate gospel um, experiences with Christ. On one visit, I noticed this big house and just started to pay attention. It's right on the lake, and I started to wonder... How did this PCA pastor get this place? And how did he build it? It's on lakefront property. You know, the mine can go to places when it comes to money, things like that, and pastors even in our region. So I finally asked him, where did this all come from? And the pastor had an amazing story. You see, he had a life, a, a, a sister who was a lifelong single woman and who lived in the Florida area. And she worked with a grocery chain her whole life and her whole career. And uh, she started with this grocery chain when it was small and decided to invest money in their stock options program. Mind you, she was not an executive. She was not a super important person. She was just a hardworking, regular staffer. Over time, that company grew and it grew and it grew and it grew so much that stocks went out of the roof and she became a very rich woman. What was the company that she worked for? Well, we know it in our area now. It's called Publix. Sadly, she passed away at a relatively early age compared to her two brother brothers who were pastors, but she gave the money over to my pastor friend, and she who then took that money, started the retreat center, and also took those resources and invested them in Kingdom Works all over the world. Here's the thing, there was no way when she started with that company and started putting money into stock options that she would, there's no way she could know what could happen to that The reality is that sometimes investments have far bigger returns than we could ever imagine. Well, guys, today that's what we're talking about in this final sermon on the Commitment Sunday of our One Fund initiative. We today as leadership are calling you, God's people, uh, to invest in God's kingdom with your time, with your talents, and yes, we're even emphasizing in this season, you're treasured as stewards of God's resources. Now, over the last month, we've talked about how God's resources work relative to creation, to fall, and even redemption. But today, I want to address the last important question: Where is all this going? If you invest in the kingdom of God in any financial way, dare I say relational way, dare I say with your time and your talents, where is this all headed? In other words, what should we expect as a return on an investment in the kingdom of God? Well, I would submit to you that 2 Corinthians 9 today has a clear biblical picture of what to expect on any investment you make in God's kingdom, not just financial, but any kind of way you give of yourself to the Lord and to his church. And it gives us really a picture of what to expect. And guys, I'm going to just be a regular preacher today and I'm going to give you five P's to tell you what to expect in our text today. Five P's. And the p 's are the following biblical principle, passion, a process, promise and praise, a principle, passion, process, promise, and praise so let 's look at our text and look at the first p of what Paul tells us is a return in our investment, which is really based on a biblical promise coming a uh, biblical principle, rather coming out of verse six. In our text, here's what it says. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, what we have to remember is Paul is talking to the Corinthian church. And Corinth was kind of the New York City of its time. It was the banking center, if you will, the shipping center. Lots of things going on in terms of business in this city in that time. And he is talking to them about the business of giving to the ministry of the saints, the service of the saints. This kind of collection coming from all the churches to support churches in their need with missions and a whole host of things. He is also in the process in a prior chapter before talked about uh, this other church, the church in Macedonia, that was a poor church. That had been eager to give, and he uses their eagerness to give as an example of what it means to be generous and how they give to the church and It would be a little bit like uh, Paul is talking to the people of Charlotte, the bankers, the lawyers, the doctors, and all those, which includes some of us, over and against the people of Wadesboro, showing how even the people of a Wadesboro would be uh, generous. In what their lack was. In other words, he's persuading the Corinthians to give to the kingdom. And specifically in our text, he's appealing to Proverbs 11 and Proverbs 22 and the allusions that are there. As well as an explicit text in Galatians 5 that says this. The biblical principle of you reap what you sow. And that applies to generosity. Now again... What he does in this process is he contrasts that if you reap sparingly, you sow sparingly. I mean, excuse me, if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. And if you sow bountifully, or as the Greek says, with blessings, with generosity, you reap with generosity and with blessings as well. So this is the principle of how God works in the world. Now, the question arises among us, like we're talking about money today Is this a financial principle from Scripture? That is, if you or I give thousands to God and His kingdom, to His church, to even beyond the church and the parachurch, will that result in millions coming back to us? Well, the answer is no. No, that's not what this principle is saying. If you read the Proverbs, if you read them carefully... If you read the rest of scripture, even in our own text later on down in the verses, you will find that an investment of treasure into God's kingdom results in blessings in every way, in every form that are returned to us through the Lord. What might that look like? Well, again, if you read Scripture carefully, you'll find that sometimes that show, shows up in new Christian relationships where you're partnering in mission with somebody. A common mission, a common desire to support, like the church. It even comes back with joy and peace. The blessing of honor, of righteousness, of helping be a part of setting things straight in the world in God's work. In other words, the return on our investment for the kingdom, be it financial or other forms, actually does not necessarily come back in financial form. But I can tell you this, it always comes back as a spiritual blessing, as God working in our lives in the power of the Spirit. Now here's the application for us today with this first P, this principle that comes and you reap what you sow. When you give... Do you give just out of sheer duty? Are you doing it because, well, that's what you do in church? Or do you give in a kind of, well, I'll give and I don't know what's going to (laughs) happen? A little bit of despair, kind of resignation. Well, Paul's saying don't give for those reasons. Give with expectation. Give with the longing, knowing that God promises that if you reap I mean, if you sow in some generous way, again, it can be financial or other ways, you will reap in all kinds of ways that God provides. Give with expectation that God will bless in unique ways that, granted, we can't anticipate sometimes, but He will do it nonetheless. This is a biblical principle right out of Scripture. Second, The second P to expecting uh, a return on an investment in the kingdom comes in verse 7 of our text. Look at verse 7 with me. It says this, each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, Paul is actually placing an expectation on us in this, a return from us, where he's looking for passion passion in our giving really God is calling us to this life of holy passion in our giving And here's what I mean when we give we want to give with rationality where we think it through where we get emotionally engaged and it's not like paying a bill if you give it like you're paying a bill you're missing the point point. Of engaging the Lord and giving to Him. Moreover, you notice how the language is you set your mind to. That is the language of commitment. That I am committing myself to giving of the Lord. The great error of many Christians is that very often we want to give more. It's in our hearts the Lord stirs us. And we do it, we, we pursue that with good intentions, but too often we don't commit with our hearts, with our minds, and our wills. And I'll tell you why. We can come up with all kinds of rational reasons to give. We can even commit ourselves, I will right, we'll do this. But until you are emotionally engaged with God and you're doing this out of a deep love for Him, giving will be a chore. It will be a matter of compulsion or reluctance, because those are the opposites. Of giving with a cheerful heart. Jesus wants us to engage him with our whole selves. This is an act of love he's calling us to. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's what he's alluding to here with his language of being a cheerful giver. So, how do we get to be a cheerful giver? Well, here in the year of grounding at Redeemer, I think it's a very important point that when we're thinking about giving, when we're really wrestling through that, and all of us have to wrestle through it, I do, you go to prayer. Prayer is where you engage the Lord emotionally, mentally, with your whole heart. And you seek Him and even come clean with your struggles regarding giving. When you pray, you will be able to commit with sincerity to the Lord. Now, the question that often arises for some of us in this whole giving business is when I commit to the Lord, how much do I give? Well, Scripture says in our text today, bountifully, generously. Uh, and let me say, that is not 1% of our income. Bountifully and generously is giving to the point that it hurts. As Mother Teresa aptly says, it's sacrifice. We at Redeemer, as Pete said earlier, believe that really, and you even heard it from Teve and Denise, we believe that the tithe is the starting point of our giving. It's where we begin with the Lord. Now let me be clear. me come back to the larger point of this verse. The Bible says a whole lot more, there's a whole lot more to giving than just handing over the money or showing God the money. It's bringing your heart and being engaged with joy with the Lord. You know, some years back, um, we took several trips to Africa, mission trips to Africa. And uh, one of the striking things about going to Africa, of course, is when you arrive is the utter poverty. It was a third world country where we'd go to in Togo. And while we were there, uh, we would inevitably worship with multiple churches uh, each, each Sunday and as we were worshiping with them, there was one striking thing that stood out about their worship. Besides, it was in another language, and besides, that it had some thump to the music, and they were really having joy in what they were doing. It was the offering. You know how they do the offering in, in many parts of Africa. Well, here's what they do: someone during the offering part of the beginning of the, the beginning of the offering part of the service will bring out a big box, and they'll put it down. In the middle of the congregation, like right here, the the band starts playing uh, some really uh, worshipful, exciting music, and the people start praising God. And then here's the key: they come out of their seats, they walk down the aisles, and they put money into the box. And here's the key: they're dancing while they're doing this. They're dancing. These are the poorest people in the world. And they're dancing while they're giving. Now, I want you to know, I'm not saying that a bunch of white people or others need to start dancing in our worship service to give. And I certainly don't want to see Daryl Timberlake dancing down the aisle when he gives. But, what I am saying is, is that's the kind of heart we want to bring to the Lord in our giving. Whether you give online, whether you give here, wherever you give. There's this sense of, I give back to the Lord because He gave so much to me in Christ. I give back to Him. What else can I do? This is the life that Paul is calling us as givers to when we seek the Lord. So that brings us now to our third P, a process that is required of us in order to get there. Because I can tell you, as sure as I say, hey, I want you to tithe and I want you to be happy about it, dancing in your heart. Everyone here goes, "Huh? how do we get there, Dean? I mean, really, how do we get there? What well, it tells us here in verses 8 and 9 where Paul spurs us on with the third P, the process of grace that goes on in our giving. Look at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Here is how we actually move beyond teeth-gritting giving or the reluctance that says, man, i got a lifestyle to maintain, to generous giving in whatever form that takes in our lives. is you go to the fact, those first words, God is able to give grace. God is able to make grace abound in our lives. He's able to bring grace into our lives to such a point that it transforms us and we give in an abounding way to others. That's what's intended by God giving His grace. Now, many of us here will think, now grace is great and I need grace, and we talk about grace a lot. Grace is a big deal in our Reformed Presbyterian circles. But what are we talking about when we talk about grace? Well, here's how you get to a greater sense of giving. You start with justice. Justice is getting what we deserve. And, you know, as a sinner, what do we really deserve? What do we really deserve before the Lord? Do we deserve all the blessings we have? No, we don't. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Do we as sinners deserve to have all the blessings we have in this life, but God still gives them to us? No, but... He gives us in mercy, not giving us what we deserve, even giving us all the blessings of life. Grace is Christ as a free gift giving us the opposite of what we deserve, salvation and eternal life. If you and I dwell for a moment on the sacrifices that Christ gave becoming poor so that we might be rich spiritually, it changes your heart. It changes you to start to understand, wait a minute, there's something bigger here in God's work. It all ge- belongs to him. I am a, I'm a steward, not an owner. I am loved. And that's another aspect of grace, that God loves you. And he loves you so deeply that he has given to you in his mercy and his grace in Christ generously. Generously. And half the time, I admit, I don't understand it or realize he's giving generously. But he's still giving in a, anyway. There's another aspect of grace. It's Christ leading us with his word. It's Christ speaking into our lives. Saying, come follow me into a life that is far richer than anything American suburbia can promise. And there's a third final blessing of grace It's the Holy Spirit living in our hearts that we can have all sufficiency in God being in us and with us in relationship through the power of the Spirit so that we're not alone. Whether we have a lot in life or have a little, God's with us. Dwelling on these blessings that God has richly given out of grace helps, you, helps Paul to say in Philippians 4 the surprising thing. Hey, whether I got a lot or I got a little, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I'm satisfied with him and what strength he gives to me. It also informs Paul in his weakness, beaten to a pulp, Struggling physically with some ailment when he says in 2 Corinthians 12, this very book, that he learns that God's grace is sufficient for him in every circumstance. Generosity begins when you're satisfied in Christ. When you're enjoying the Holy Spirit. This is far too rare for us. But this is what Paul is calling us to in this text as we experience God's grace. So. Paul has given us this, uh, us this amazing thing. And this promise. That as we experience grace. God has got more grace coming our way. And by the way I think that's important to know. You haven't begun to taste. The riches of grace. you just started. I don't care if you've followed Jesus for 30 years. You have just started tasting Grace. So much more is waiting for you and for me. And generosity is the place, one of the places, where you actually taste that anew. So, what can we expect when we give an investment to God's kingdom? We can expect a biblical principle at work, a call to passion, and a process of grace going on within us as we learn generosity. That brings us to the fourth P. Fourth P. The fourth P tells us where we can get down to more of the stuff we wonder about with God in verses 10 through 11, and that is the promise of riches. Look at verse 10 with me. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity which through us Will produce thanksgiving to God. Do you see that? You're going to get more. You're going to be enriched. You're going to be blessed more by this. Now of course I've already said. Those blessings aren't necessarily financial blessings. But God promises in this text he will supply and multiply what we have and then you will be enriched in every way. What's the biblical principle behind that? Well, when God gives resources to a steward and they use them well, he gives more. That's the principle that we see back in the Gospels. And further... If I may quote our friend and former elder at Redeemer, Don Harris, so, who so ably said, he's pointing out you can't outgive God. No matter how much you give, you can't outgive Him. God promises to bless in absolutely every way. But but this is let's be clear, it's not just what the health, wealth, prosperity gospel says that God will bless you if you give. Nah, it's not meant to stop. It's meant to be. A derivative of Genesis 12 that we are blessed to be a blessing. Did you notice in our text how it says you will be enriched in every way for all your generosity. Which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And then in prior verses he talks about how we are to give in order to give to others. In other words, the very purpose of God giving to us and abounding us in grace is that we might do the good work of giving to others. We aren't supposed to be financial or blessing cul-de-sacs. We're supposed to be highways of blessings where we receive and give, receive and give, receive and give. That is our rhythm as the Christian in our lives. And you can bet that if we are generous with our time, talents, and treasure that God will bless us more. Maybe not with money, but he will bless us in ways we are not expecting in him. Randy Alcorn puts it this way. God prospers us not to raise our standard of living, but our standard of giving. God prospers us not to raise our standard of living, but our standard of giving. And Jesus said as much. He said to him, who much is given, much is expected, whatever form that takes. What's the application? You're not going to like this because I don't like this. But I was convicted of this this week. Stop trying to control the outcome of your giving. Start trusting as you give generously that God will use it in ways you don't expect and bless you in ways you don't expect as part of the mystery of faith in our giving. Now, let me be clear, that is not to say you shouldn't ask your leadership, how are we going to use these resources? Keep asking. Accountability is a good thing. But it is to say, you and I are called to give by faith to the Lord. And yes, you may ask accountability questions, but stop making control your highest value with money. Oh, how close that comes to me. Today, we're called to seek God with faith, hope, and love. To give generously because the Lord gives to us. Now, some of us here think, Dean, I've heard all this talk of blessing. It makes me nervous sometimes because I've given and I've given, and I haven't seen a lot of blessing. In fact, sometimes the sacrifice of giving means I feel, like the, I feel the pinch even worse. How in the world am I supposed to have any hope of where this is going? Well, that brings us to the fifth and final P in our text today. And it shows up in verse 12. And here's what it says. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. And he goes on to talk about how others give praise to God and glory to God because of the generosity of people in his church. Do you want to understand what the the chief end, kind of the long-term goal is going on in this whole matter of giving, well, here's what it is. It's the praise of the Lord in the restoration of his kingdom. And I mean that in a temporal sense. When God, we provide resources in a temporal sense through this body, you will help missionaries around the world. You will help the hurting who need mercy and resources within our church and outside of our church. You will help uh, pay for uh, staff and pastors so that they can do active ministry on a full-time basis, studying the Word of God and caring for people. You are paying for a facility. You're giving so that we can actually even worship here on Sunday mornings of Sun Valley. The resources we give show up in temporal ways. But the result of that is supposed to be worship. Worship. Praise to the Lord. By giving these resources, the people in our text are going, Glory to you, Christ. Thank you, Lord, for their generosity, which you provided through them. That's what we're looking for. If you want to look for an investment, a a return on your investment, listen to the language of worship. Is it happening? Even as you give. The wonder of this is that not only does that affect us here and now, I mean, imagine, as we give resources to church planners in Africa, to Haiti, uh, to northern Mexico, even in this region, planning in the difficult place of America, imagine the praise that's going on not only from the ministers of the gospel who are receiving it, but even those who come to Christ and are worshiping God too. That's what we're listening for. Imagine the woman who is receiving resources by us caring for her car at Car Care Saturday, or for the couple who are financially strapped and need help in counseling so that we can send them to a counselor and help take care of them. Imagine them worshiping God because they're being cared for in meaningful ways, locally, even around the world. Imagine the gospel going out through pastors through interns, a host of staff who are trying to equip the church for ministry as the gospel is integrated into our lives. That's where we're looking for praise, where we're looking for worship in Christ. Now, At this point, these are all praiseworthy things. This is the kind of the temporal effect of what God's doing. But what about one other thing? The eternal blessings that come. Remember our our thesis from what Scripture teaches? What we do now echoes in eternity. What you give to now and how that affects people in this world will show up in heaven one day. In a new heavens and a new earth. And as we see visibly how we have had a greater effect in building the kingdom through giving and generosity of time, talents, and yes, treasure... We will be praising God. We will be giving honor to God. We'll be in the very presence of God, enjoying Him, saying, Look at what you did, even through me. That's the vision of what we're looking for and what He's talking about here. The generosity is supposed to end up being for the glory of God. That's what we're after. That's what we're listening for. That's the return. For your investment. Today we are calling you to give. And to commit to giving. If you didn't come prepared today. And need more time. Please take the next week and do so. And come back next week. But our call to you today. Is that as you give to God. And give to him as the one. You will watch. The kingdom of God grow. listen. For the worship. That's what we're after in Christ's name. Let's pray together. Lord, we commit ourselves today to you, and we do so, Lord, with the hope and the promise that we will experience a return on generosity. It probably won't take the the forms we want to control or we anticipate or we necessarily want. it might. But all things considered, we yield to you, Lord, that thy will would be done. We pray, Lord, even as we give today to your church and commit to Redeemer in particular, that you would take the generosity that's given today and you would build your kingdom in us, in our hearts, and our love for you, in, Lord, our community, that our community would be transformed more and more with the gospel as we are being light and salt, even to the world, Lord even to a world changed by us resourcing and loving on others around the world who need the gospel and need you desperately, Jesus. Today, give us a vision for what church can look like even when we give generously to your kingdom. We love you, and we offer ourselves to you in Christ's name today. Amen. Now is the time I'd like to ask the ushers to come forward to receive the second offering. This is.